Marco on the normal radio. Free weed. Free weed. Oh, yo. Danny Danko come to show you how it grows. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on normal radio. Presented by High Times Magazine. See me, I say, boom, bang. Big respect. See me, I say, Danny Danko. Alright you guys, welcome to episode number 81 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Denko and Mike Hughes. And uh, yeah, we've got quite a show for you guys. We went over the top with this one. We've got over an hour and a half of free weed for you guys today. Um, gosh, we do a preview of July issue of, of High Times. Uh, we've got the Michigan Cup tickets on sale. Uh, talk about the DEA. We talk with our old friend Rob Cantrell, comedian Rob Cantrell, about some uh, some comedy stuff that's going on. And then, you guys, the interview is with Jorge Cervantes. He has a great, amazing new book out uh, called The Cannabis Encyclopedia. So we talk with Jorge Cervantes on the show. And if that's not enough cultivation stuff, we've got a huge cultivation segment, 21 Tips for Hydro Growers. Uh, as always, the strain of the fortnight um, and the Q&A from you guys, our listeners. So thanks to Jacques and Winstrong for the wonderful tune. We will be back with Free Weed, episode 81. All right, so welcome to High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko and Mike Hughes, episode number 81. Yeah, man. Um, 81 down, 19 to go. As I, I've said before, is this your theory that we're only doing a hundred episodes? Is that you know? It was weird when we it, <clears> when really... we first started the show. I was thinking one hundred is such a big number, like we'll <laughs> never get to one hundred episodes, and we're knocking on the door right now, so it could happen. Yeah, sometime wanna, in twenty twenty. You don't want to disappoint the listeners like that, though. Disappoint, uh, fulfill their wishes. We'll see. Anyway, uh, we have a very interesting show for everybody today. And I also I want to say this is like the eighth time we've tried to record this episode of the show. And the last time we did, we both sat down right here where we're sitting at these mics. And we had an hour and a half long conversation about how to survive in prison. And <laughs> we forgot to record any of the show. That could have been a whole show. It was so, interesting. Yeah. It was an interesting conversation. Unfortunately, it wasn't productive <laughs> as far as free weed is concerned. But we're back. We're here now. Yes. Yes, indeed. And Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, we got a we got a new issue. Do you want to talk about that? The let's July that. issue of let's High Times. July issue of High Times on newsstands now. I'm very excited about it because my mentor and a great friend Jorge Cervantes has returned to High Times. He's got a new book out. We'll be talking to him later on in the episode about that as well. But uh, we've been running excerpts in the magazine, and this is the first one. This July issue, um, Jorge on the cannabis life cycle, just start to finish life cycle of the cannabis plant. Very exciting. Um, our colleague Jen Bernstein has a wonderful vape pen review. This is our 2015 vape pen review. So if you're the type of person that uh, walks around puffing on vape pens, this is the issue for you. It's true. You know, we've <laughs> done a few of these and uh, it's weird just since I've been at High Times to see how much this market has evolved from oh my God. doing actual vaporizers, which were like the size of this desk and you had to like <laughs> put them on casters to entertain friends to right. now, you know, you fit them in your pocket. We have it for wax. We have it for pot. And there's over, they tested over a hundred pens 
over a hundred yeah, vape pens. It's, it's amazing to think that there's even that many out there. But hey, if you're looking for stealth and you're looking to get high in the street or uh, on the subway platform or as I famously did in my pocket, <laughs> you, uh, you should pick this issue up to find out uh, the latest news on vape pen innovations. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. There's an uh, article on grow room security, which is a v- very important subject. Uh, actually, you know, sometimes life, you know. If you want to avoid having to figure out how to survive in prison, grow <laughs> <laughs> security is an excellent thing grow room to security learn. Security is very important, and so there's an article in here uh, by Sirius J about grow room security. Very interesting stuff there. Um, also, understanding leaf surface temperature by Mitch Shinasa of the Adam Dunn Show, and uh, um, very interesting stuff about not just canopy level heat, which people have known about for years, but actual heat on the leaf surface. Um, which builds up quickly and can very much affect growth rates. So that's very interesting as well. Um, great article by Dan Sky, our editor-in-chief, about children and cannabis, kids that are using cannabis for various uh, epilepsy uh, things and, and all kinds of different uh, diseases that these kids are treating with uh, medical marijuana. And the interview, Amaya Shenwar, about uh, the drug war and about uh, you know how many people are in jail which is absolutely ridiculous. Getting back to our theme of, of surviving jail, she uh, had a sister who was uh, locked up for a drug violation, and that spurred her into uh, getting more interested in finding out like what's really going on with the situation in America. It's crazy how many people we lock up in prisons and how that changes their lives, their families' lives, and and all kinds of things. So yeah, she, She's great, and it's a really interesting interview. She wrote a really fascinating book. But I just I don't know the wisdom of having uh, Mitch Shinasa and Maya Shenwar in the same issue. That's very confusing to me. You mean it's hard to pronounce? I'm just noticing we have all the <laughs> M Shens right here. But uh, she's great. You got to check her out. And really, the whole issue is tremendous. So yeah. that is on newsstands right now. Yeah, very excited about that. Um, we have uh, Michigan Cup tickets are on sale. So people... we have a promo. Do we have a free weed promo for that? We or... don't. No. Yeah, we may maybe the next show. We have um, an early bird. We do. There's an early bird. There's special. an early bird special running right now. So if you order your tickets now, they're going to be cheaper than if you wait and order them later. So get the early bird special now um, for your Michigan Cup. I believe that's August first uh, and second. No, no, that's that, Portland. Oh, that's so the it's Portland. Twenty second and twenty third. I think twenty second and twenty third of August. We will be in the same location as last year in Clio at the racetrack. There, uh, one of my favorite cups I, that we've done. I mean, yeah, I had so fun. much fun last year. Um, too bad the rain came at the very end. Uh, rain. I mean, it was like a friggin' monsoon. It was the nothing. <laughs> it was terrifying. But that <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was a good cup, and I'm looking forward to that one uh, towards the end of August. Um, we should have an announcement very soon about uh, San Francisco. Yeah, expecting it today, maybe tomorrow, but right. uh, keep posted for that. That is, that's going to be the next one. But then after that, as Dan mentioned, we have Portland. Yeah, a lot of cups, like three cups in six weeks or something like that. Like, uh, pretty exciting. Pretty yeah, exciting so that, summertime for us. That information is on CannabisCup.com. You can check all that out and get all the, the dates as we get them. It's sort of a situation that's kind of changing moment to moment, but uh, the fluid. information is there. It's so. fluid. Yes. <laughs> it's fluid. And What kind of fluid? We don't know yet. But. Yeah, it could go either way. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a good segue here, <laughs> but the fluid thing really uh, – our next, our next segment here is with Rob Cantrell. 
So uh, insert your own segue. Yeah, let's talk to Rod. All right, we are back with a guest that we have had on the show before. We were just trying to figure out how many times, uh, somewhere between two and four, we came up with. But we don't guarantee know for sure. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, you might know him from last comic standing. He was on the the, the first season of that show. True. Um, uh, recently appeared on Doug Loves Movies, which he's done several times. Uh, Doug Benson's podcast and uh, touring comedian and friend of the show and friend of the Halflings Leaf as well. <laughs> Rob Cantrell. Rob, welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here, Danny. Good to see you, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, uh. Thanks for coming in. And, uh, oh, we should also mention that uh, you were also on the Colbert Report. Uh, that's, that's true. Pretty, yeah, that that's fun. one of my came, credits. Came up from under the desk yeah. and, and lit a joint up in, in his shoe. It was a shoe-related <laughs> Yeah, I smoked a, a bong load out of his shoe. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the line was, uh, they were banning uh, bongs in Florida. So he was doing a piece on that. And he goes, oh, you know the stoners, they'll come up with anything. He goes, hey, what are you doing down there? And he lifts his shoe up and there's a bong like built into his shoe. And I take a big, I'm taking a big hit out of it. And I'm like, hey, man, sorry, dude. I didn't think you were using this. Yeah. <laughs> now, is that something they just thought? We got to get Cantrell for this, or was <laughs> I knew one of the producers there. Uh, he did stand up, and he used to have this show called The Fuck Monkeys, <laughs> and it was this really bizarre show in the Lower East Side. So I used to do stand up there, and uh, he's all, I've never bothered. He was like one of those dudes. I knew him through stand up. I didn't know him as a producer for the Colbert Report, and I never really bothered him. I never like asked him for a favor. And I, the role just came up. They needed a stoner, and he texted me that morning, and I was like, oh shit. And I got to do a scene with Stephen Colbert, so that was like a huge deal for me. So it was, uh, but it happened like in a blink of an eye, just because I knew a dude a few years later. Right on, man. That's awesome, cool, cool. And uh, one of the things you're known for is these uh, videos that you do. Uh, one of which I appeared in, actually, Coffee and Weed. Yeah, the original one. <laughs> the original, Danny, yeah, you definitely Coffee and Weed are featured in that. It's great. That was a lot of fun, and uh, and of course everybody. Thank loves you. The, everybody loves the combination of coffee and weed. It's like yeah, the hippie speedball or the, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good combo. And uh, more recently, you uh, you have a new video. Where you're painting? Yeah, it's a sketch video. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's we have it up on HighTimes.com if people want to check it out. And uh, so it's now he's related to to Bob Ross and to Rick Ross. Yeah, he's the <laughs> son of Bob Ross and the second cousin to Rick Ross. <laughs> Interesting. And it's called Rob Ross. It's a character. Yeah. So uh, you know. It's, you step, it's comedy, people. <laughs> people try to call me out like, oh, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, it's, it's fucking comedy, man. What are you talking? <laughs> I'm not the dude, all right? <laughs> uh, but uh, so, yeah, it's Wait, a spoof people- and hopefully a tribute to Bob Ross. And I didn't want to just do a Bob Ross. I wanted to kind of do his son because he, mm-hmm. he says he gives respect to his father as a great painter. Yeah. And then he uh, paints. So it's a, it's a sketch video called uh, Real Painting with Rob Ross. And it's on YouTube. Cool. Cool. So check that out, you guys. Also, you can follow uh, Rob on Twitter. He's very funny on the tweets. Uh, oh, so thanks, tell, man. Tell him Free Weed sent you. Get I some. will. I love your Twitter. You're killing it on Twitter, <laughs> man. Uh, thanks. You've smoked out with everybody. We were talking, uh, what were we talking, Manus Chow? Or- uh, Ma- Manu Chow. Yeah, Manu yeah. Chow right. that you did an interview for. Very proud of that one. Yeah, because I was listening to some of that. He's just so dope, man. I love it. Yeah. Great, great tunes, great dude, and uh, yeah, great message you know, too. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure you've gotten to uh, 
blazed with some interesting people as you know in the comedy world as well um we won't try to make you out anybody yeah. <laughs> right now, but but or you uh, could say Doug Benson. Doug Benson. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think he, anybody. I don't think he's hiding it. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. On? There's a lot of people that smoke. Everybody smokes pot. Not everybody, but everybody. Yeah. And uh, you, were, <laughs> you were telling us uh, just before we recorded this that you and Dan have uh, something in common. You're both big fans of graffiti, right? So, oh yeah. Right, right. I grew up. Uh, You're with a, a bit of a you have a bit of graffiti skill. history. You can, little bit. you can do a little, a little bit. You yeah. were out there. I was out there, but you know, you were doing the real graffiti. It's been a lot of years. It's been a lot of years. What the graffiti has changed though. Yeah. Like, it's definitely changed. I I'll tell things. you where I draw the line, Danny is, is this artisanal graffiti. Have you seen this yarn graffiti? <laughs> the yarn. Yeah, I have. I don't mind graffiti. hipsters, but when they start breaking out yarn graffiti, when you're walking down the street and the yield sign has a sweater vest, <laughs> that's where I draw the line on graffiti. All right. That's it. Yeah. How do you, I mean, graffiti is supposed to be, you got to have like Casper, the ghost doing a head spin, some fat bubble letters <laughs> with a little, little thing in the star, right? Yep. Hit it with the chunks and doodads. So, yeah, man. Danny's the real deal. <laughs> I've seen you still draw. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do the occasional drawing here at the Cubs and stuff when we're just, uh, ki- you know, killing time, doing some drawings and stuff. But, yeah, it was it was fun times back in the day. Art um, is so fun. I love graffiti, man. I respect it so much. Yeah, I mean, you know. You can lose yourself with it. Marijuana plays a big role also in that world, as with most worlds, actually, <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think artistic worlds. Right. I think anywhere there's good weed, there's good art. Is what I was thinking. Not all, everywhere, but you think of all the good places. Artists want to have some weed around. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, why you're an artist is to smoke free weed. That's right. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Uh, Rob, what do you got coming I up? Love man? It. Where can people see you? Do uh, stuff. Yeah, I'm doing stand-up here in the city all the time. If you're ever in New York, definitely check out my Twitter for like last-minute shows and stuff like that. But I'm going on tour. I'm going to D.C. and I'm also going to um, San Francisco. And... Uh, I'm doing the Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco on the 17th of June. If you're in town, yeah, that's or, where uh, I started. Where, that's where. Uh, yeah, that's where I started. Uh, yeah, when I first started doing stand up in '99, I lived in a, a hostel and I worked the late night shift from midnight to like 8 a.m. three nights a week. And they would <laughs> give me this free room. They had an apartment building in the back, but the two comedy clubs were close by. It was the Punchline and the Cobb's Comedy Club. And then also, it, yeah, San Francisco is a fun, funky town. I'm excited to go back. So I'm doing that. And then I'm also featuring for Craig Robinson at Cobbs. Do you, Craig Robinson oh, yeah. from The Office. Oh, he's great. Nice. He's great and super funny and nice dude. I've known him for a while. And I'm doing a week of shows with him, a weekend of shows. But I'm headlining my own night at Crosstown at the Punchline. Nice. And you Very mentioned cool. something about Alaska, too, right? Yeah, I'm going to Anchorage, Alaska in August. Sick. Wow. Yeah, this place called Coots, and I'm going to be there for a full week, and they have bands and stuff there, but they do an 8 o'clock comedy show, and I've done it once before. I've done it like three or four times, actually. But uh, it's a gig that's been up there that's a lot of comics started, like first headlining gigs up there, because it's just a really fun crowd. Like, it starts at 8, you're done by 10. Like, Doug Stanhope started there, Mitch Hedberg started there. Those were, like, the first spots that they would go up. And everybody, amongst the comedians, everybody loved it. It was just such a fun, funky little week. Cool. Well, uh, I guess let people know, uh, you know, what your Twitter, I guess... At Rob Cantrell. Yeah, get at me at Twitter. C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L. Yep. And, yeah... Follow him on Twitter for some hilarious tweets, and you can find out, like, the dates of uh, shows if you're in New York. Uh, He performs regularly here, um, all over the East Coast, and, of course, 
Alaska and San Francisco. Yeah. And Dominican. And D- and- I'm going to be in D.C. actually if you want to check me out at the Big Hunt on June 12th. And I'm also going to be across uh, this this place called the Comedy Underground. They've been doing like these little shows at like rock venues or cool little pubs around town. So I'm doing like a couple of those in D.C. on June 12th and 13th. And you and that's you, on my website. Dates. You also you you accept herbal donations and stuff when you're oh traveling, yeah right? if you, yeah <laughs> totally man it's hard I got a I got a bad back I'm usually uh, been up crashed out and you know stand up comedy takes a lot out of you you know. <laughs> Definitely. And, uh, and if people want to see uh, what Rob Ross's son and Rick Ross's uh, distant cousin. I didn't really play up the Rick Ross as much. It's mostly a lot of – but we're going to – hopefully the idea is if this video is popular enough and uh, it got – I plugged it on Doug Benson's podcast as well. So people are coming at it and then High Times was so nice. You guys did put it up on like the top five uh, videos to get high to this week. You to watch when you get baked. Oh, nice. Is the title, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, if it if, if it's successful enough, I'll make more, and hopefully Rick Ross could be maybe a guest on it. Or <laughs> nice, that would be great. So that you can go to robcantrell dot com to check that and and all your other videos out. Yeah, the Rob Ross one. Just go to YouTube and put Rob Ross real painting with Rob Ross. Right on. Cool. Well, Rob, thanks for stopping by. As always, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's right a blast. Right, you guys, I know you love pot because you're listening to this show, and I know that means you probably want to grow your own. Definitely need a BC Northern Lights grow box. If you're just growing for personal use, you're all set with this stuff. Even if you're growing for friends or, or, or just to have that, uh, that special two-bedroom with benefits instead of uh, having a lame roommate, you have a wonderful roommate or a bloom box or a producer, and you're growing your own pot. You know everything that went into it. Everything is fully automated. Amazing. These grow boxes are top of the line. They are absolutely the pinnacle of grow box technology. Touch screen technology, all fully automated, CO2 dosing, odor control, everything you want from a grow box. And you can reach them at bcnorthernlights.com or call them toll free 888 236 1266. That's 888 236 1266. Always be sure to tell them that you heard about them through Free Weed from Danny Danko, and you can get growing now. And if you don't grow, now you grow. All right. Welcome back, you guys. Uh, We have a special treat for you on hand. Um, The great Jorge Cervantes is here. Jorge, welcome. Well, thanks a lot, Danny. I'm glad to uh, be on your show again. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, you've been on before, even the earliest episodes, I think the second episode, and we're, this is episode number 81, so uh, we're very excited to have you back again. And, uh, you know, if people don't know, I'm sure most of our listeners know who you are, but if people don't know, um, Jorge is a grow author. He's been an, uh, an author. Uh, he wrote Indoor Marijuana Horticulture in 1983, which is re- widely considered uh, the Bible for indoor growers for many, many years, translated into Dutch, French, German, Italian, Spanish, and Russian. Um, also the recipient of our 2010 Dr. Grinspoon Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, you know him from his column in the magazine, uh, the Grow Q&A column that he wrote for a decade 
uh, prior to handing that over to me, which was very flattering and, and a special uh, special feeling for me. And uh, yeah, he's written a, a bunch of different books and done a bunch of videos. You can check him out at MarijuanaGrowing.com. Thank you again, Jorge. Well, thanks so much. Like I said, it's a real honor to be on your program again. Uh, I appreciate it's just, that. Uh, it's so cool to see all the movement in the industry now and and the change with the uh, move toward legalization in so many states. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, who would have thought, uh, you know, back when you got started that we would be, we would have made such progress. Uh, I can remember, you know, your books being, you know, hidden, you know, in the, in the, in the safe and in places under floorboards and things like that, where people just would, would hide the book like it was a piece of paraphernalia. Well, it was pretty incredible because when I when we went up to shoot the video, the first uh, Jorge Cervantes Ultimate Grow video series in Vancouver, B.C., uh, we met people. I mean, for for years the book had been banned in Canada, and we met people that had gotten smuggled a copy of the book in and photocopied it and spread it around among all the other people that couldn't get it. And there was, they had study groups. It was really, really mm-hmm. pretty amazing the lengths that people would go to to get decent information when it's prohibited. Yeah, it is amazing to think. And I hope that one day in the future people will look back and think it's very silly to, uh, you know, to ban a book about growing plants. It, it seems just ridiculous on the face of it. Uh, but we are here to talk about your new book, which is an amazing uh, compendium here. Uh, I have it in front of me. It's the Cannabis Encyclopedia, the Definitive Guide to Cultivation and Consumption of Medical Marijuana. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, tell me a little bit about this book because it, it's an amazing book of the beautiful, beautiful cover and uh, just many, many pages of incredible photos and words. So tell me a little bit about the, the genesis of this book and, and what you did to put this together. Well, it, it's, it really took years to put together. I spent six years writing the book, just writing and doing the last research and getting the, the photographs together. There's uh, more than 200 color photographs and images in the book. And they're all the best ones that I could come up with. I was really fortunate to be able to work with, with Mel Frank and then also Left Foot, who's shot, I don't know how many, how many um, covers for High Times and tons of work for High Times, and several other really talented photographers. And so that made a big difference because, you know, I can shoot good photos, but I can't shoot as many great photos from different places as these guys. And then the book's 586 pages long, or 596 pages long, excuse me, uh, just four pages shy of 600 pages. And, uh, my gosh, it's got everything in it. It's a big five, or eight and a half by 11 format. So it's, you know, as big as the High Times magazine, and it's got three columns. And you can get uh, a lot more words on a page like that with three columns. And it's really a little bit twice, or I mean, a little bit bigger than twice uh, the size of the the marijuana horticulture. They call that one the Bible. So it's, I mean, it's, and it's really well researched and edited. I was able to pay good editors, some really good technical editors, and as well as copy editors. So it was, it was great. I got to work with more great people than. I ever have, and um, it was just 
a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it shows because this is just an incredible book. And actually, I see that there's also a lot of information here um, beyond just cultivation. I mean, um, there's a lot of scientific stuff uh, about measuring cannabinoids and uh, uh, breeding and all kinds of information that uh, kind of goes above and beyond just cultivation. Uh, yeah, that's right. And there's, there was, like, well, the first chapter, Medicinal Cannabis, uh, that was written by Fred Gardner. Uh, he's also editor of, of O'Shaughnessy's magazine, as well as uh, Project CBD.org and BeyondTHC.com. And he's a real expert in the, the medical field, and he just did a wonderful job on that chapter. And then chapter two was done by Samantha Miller, who's a career scientist and has had a, and she's had a uh, testing lab for the last four and a half years. And she's tested thousands and thousands of samples and has a real in-depth knowledge of the science behind it. And she did an, uh, an outstanding job on that chapter. And uh, really, you know, there's been so much misinformation about testing that I wanted to find somebody that was, you know, really knew what they were doing. And then the rest of the book was, uh, I wrote the rest of the book, including the breeding chapter. And the breeding chapter was, was a bit of a stretch for me, but man, I'll tell you what, I learned so much in this chapter, and I was able to talk to some incredible breeders that were not just breeding cannabis, that were breeding other things like uh, flowers, vegetables, um, peas, and um, yeah, it was great, and onions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great, and um, so I really, really went the full length on this. And then, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Vicente Fox uh, Quesada, he uh, was the president of Mexico from 2000 to 2006. He wrote the foreword to my book. So that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Former president of Mexico. How did that come about? How did you uh, work that out? Well, I'd, I'd al I was looking for the, the biggest name I could get, and it was one of the most exclusive clubs. The most exclusive club is the sitting presidents, people that are presidents of a country right now, because there's all just a few, there's about 210 of them. But the next most exclusive club is the, the presidents that uh, uh, are still alive that have been presidents, right? So uh, that's the group I picked on. It's even bigger than the billionaires, or it's uh, more exclusive than the billionaires club. And uh, I wanted him so bad because he's the guy because there's such a, 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 a drug war between the United States and Mexico and you know they kill 30 people every day in the drug war in Mexico and he just wants to see it stop you know so in, in that way we're on the same side and he's just one of my heroes yeah yeah, and, it, and uh, it seems to me after uh, reading this book that you definitely place a heavy emphasis on the medicinal uh, factors of cannabis, the, you know, the, the medicinal effects. Um, was, that, was that an intentional thing on your part? Uh, oh, you bet, because that's one of the big things that's been missing for so long. I mean, you know, the only testing that was done on cannabis for the last, God, well, 
70 years has been forensic as to find, you know, and it's been done by the cops after the fact to find out just how potent this dangerous drug is, you know, and, and it's all been looked at as a dangerous drug. I wanted to bring the conversation around toward medicine so we could make up for some lost time. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. And uh, you've also got uh, stuff in here about cooking with medicinal cannabis um, as well as concentrates. Do you think um, that, you know, concentrates and edibles are uh, kind of the future in a lot of ways? Well, it's really interesting because um, first let's look at uh, um, edibles or no concentrates. The, The way the price of cannabis is going is the price is down. And it's just so expensive to process a pound or a kilo of cannabis, like by trimming the buds and hanging them up and everything. And it's it's just labor-intensive and uh, slow and inefficient. So I think what's going to happen as the price goes down and legalization gets more common is we're going to see people farming cannabis with tractors and then grinding it up harvest it and grind it up and make concentrates out of it and then those concentrates are a lot easier to meter you know you can uh, make a big batch of concentrates and then take a test and find out what the cannabinoid profile is and it's consistent throughout the homogeneous batch but um, uh, so that also lends itself to putting it in in um, food and drinks and medicines as well, because it's a lot easier to meter out when it's consistent. So we're going to see a lot of that. But uh, meantime, we're going to see even more of backyard growing and indoor growing while that's getting sorted out. But I think the, the, the gourmet growing will never, ever stop. Uh, the interesting thing is about the, uh, the cooking is that uh, well, you can cook it. There's various temperature uh, tolerances that you need to look for, and different. You know, you got to mix it with uh, an oil, uh, cannabis with an oil, a sugar, or uh, an alcohol, uh, or other substances too. You can drive uh, drive it out. Well, no, that's that's for concentrates. But um, when you mix it with some of these substances, it's a different process. It's called called uh, uh, where, where it's absorbed in, and it's solubil- solubilization where it's absorbed uh, into the oil or the fat or, or the, the sugar. And I, I'm really good with my science and distinguish things very clearly so, so people can take the uh, base, base information and really run with it to the next step, to, which is recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, you had mentioned indoor growing and, and outdoor and, and tractors. Um, do you think that indoor growing has a future in, in this world, or do you think that uh, everything is going to sort of move outdoors and, and into greenhouses and that sort of thing as these, uh, the, the cost of production continues to drop? Yeah, it's just it's, it's got to because growing indoors is just so expensive, and in, in so many ways it's limited. Um, you know, sure, you can turn five, five, even six crops indoors, and in a small area, you can grow qu- uh, a heck of a lot of cannabis. But at the same time, to grow each each uh, gram or kilo of that cannabis 
is much more expensive than it is to grow it outdoors or in a greenhouse. Uh, I think a lot of the higher quality uh, cannabis production will go into uh, the greenhouses because there's really no substitute for Mother Nature and, and the sun is it's free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we've been placing an emphasis on that, too, in uh, the different panels and, and, and shows that we've done. Um, Mike, you had a question for, for Jorge. Well, actually, since you're, you mentioned uh, indoor and outdoor, you were just up in Alaska. And now the, the people yeah. there, they, they don't have as many options when it comes to, uh, to grow cycles. Is that right? What, what was it like up there? Um, well, it was really interesting because, you know, it was, I was just up there for the weekend. It got dark about 1130 and it got light about four in the morning. And in between, it was, didn't get really super dark during that time. And that's in Anchorage, and that's at 69 degrees north latitude. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, they've got the midnight sun, but at the same time, it was 40 degrees at night and 60 degrees during the day, and, which is really warm for now. They're having kind of a, a warm spell. Normally, they have a a couple of feet on the ground right of snow on the ground now so uh they can grow in greenhouses there's there's um options to do that you know you can dig into a hillside insulate it and um have a low profile greenhouse where that doesn't suffer much wind from the wind or anything and it's a lot cheaper to heat like that uh but you've only really got a season for about five to six months really uh, so growing indoors is pretty much essential. But what you find there is with the distribution, because you've got about 700,000 people in the state, half of those live in the urban area of, uh, around uh, Anchorage, and then everybody else lives in a small, small town. Well, what happens is the price of electricity in Anchorage is about 13 cents a kilowatt hour. But... If you go out to one of those little towns, a lot of times they have a generator that's running the electricity for the entire town. So your electricity goes all the way up to 50 to 55 cents a kilowatt hour. And it gets very, very expensive. So growing out in those communities is, is pretty difficult. I think we're going to see um, kind of like the town grower or a few people who grow or or a, a number of people grow, and then everybody else just <clears throat> purchase from them. Because importing into Alaska is very difficult because you've got to pass an international border or go over some pretty cold water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we here at High Times are really excited um, to have your words back in the magazine. Um, we've been excerpting the Cannabis Encyclopedia um, beginning with our July issue, July 2015 issue, uh, where you wrote about the cannabis life cycle. And uh, so we have about six more of those or five more of those excerpts coming in, uh, in the future months of the magazine, which, uh, which we were very excited about because the book is just absolutely amazing. And we also are doing some stuff online, and we've already put up, I think, three to maybe four um, different pieces from you um, from the encyclopedia, you have um, some case studies in the book as well. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about uh, the importance of, of case studies and, and what people sort of get out of seeing uh, another person's garden? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. The case studies are really essential for people to read 
because it just kind of gives it gives you the flow of the garden, what people do on a day-to-day basis or weekly or monthly basis. And a lot of times, especially with new growers, they just kind of get out of sync with the plant. And this 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 is essential that that you're in step with the plant. And there's four different case studies. There's two indoor studies and two outdoor studies. The one um, uh, there's one that set up the first one. It's uh, in Spain, or actually, the, yeah, the, both of them are in Spain. The, those two, um, but it's a fairly big one. It's got several several different gardens there, and it's some guys that set up in an old farmhouse. And then there's another one, uh, and it uses conventional um, HID lights. And then the other one is um, a good friend of mine, Tony, who's uh, by the way, got fibromyalgia, and that's why he started growing. And anyway, it's uh, with high-pressure sodium and HID lights, and it's got quite a bit of it's it's quite different than the the first case study. And then the last two are outdoors. The third one is um, a chronology of my backyard for three years here in America, and then um, and you can see as the the soil changes, gets better. The plants get much stronger and, and better. And then also, even with me, there's a learning curve with every climate. So everybody always learns. And then the last one, that's the cool one. That's a great big farm in, from Humboldt Local in Northern California. And that was the year he grew a lot. And that's, he had numerous 10-pound plants. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, uh, Mike, you had a question? Yeah, well, some of our, our listeners who know Jorge from the old days remember that there was a bit of a disguise going on. Yet you had the dreads and the hat and the the colored goatee, and you've since um, you know gone sort of all natural, which we all appreciate. You look great, but we were wondering what happened to the dreads. Do you still have them somewhere? Are they like in a, an attic in a box somewhere? Yeah, I I, I I keep them in a drawer over in uh, Europe. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I. Uh, got them back there, but yeah, I just I just don't have to wear them anymore. It was, you know, it's difficult to have to hide who you are when you're very proud of your work. Um, yeah, I rather resented having to to wear uh, a disguise. And you know, I mean, the last 15 years, well, I've been back in America on and off for five years, but the last 15 years, <clears throat> I, I I moved or 15 years ago, I moved over to Spain. And when I did, I didn't need to hide anything, you know. I mean, I was I was in Spain for a couple of weeks, and then they they when I moved there, and then they interviewed me. It'd be, it was called Canal Plus. It'd be like CNN here, and they interviewed me and came to a, a talk that I gave, big talk, it was a lot of very well attended, and um, I was on TV for two minutes. Uh, five times a day for about two weeks. Uh, they ran that, that silly clip over again, you know, the <laughs> two-minute clip. And everybody in the country knew me. And, you know, after coming from America where you had to disguise yourself, it was pretty um, pretty big eye-opener as to the freedoms I had there. Yeah, it must so be very I, liberating. Yeah, it really really is. You know, I it... Um, well, it touched me pretty deep, you know, because I lived in, in Spain when when Franco, and it wasn't 
<laughs> you didn't have too many personal liberties. Yeah. And now you've got more than than you do in America. I think but a lot of a lot of nice. a lot of American growers, I think, can te- definitely sympathize with that. Um, the idea that they're proud of their work, but they can't really. Uh, take credit for it and they have to sort of stay hidden and luckily that's all changing now and people are uh, are coming out of the grow closet so to speak and, and able to uh, take pride in their work it's really wonderful I'm very much uh, very happy it mm-hmm. um, takes a lot of stress out of my life <laughs> absolutely now um, over your 30 year plus uh, career um, you've written and, and done a lot of amazing things, but this Cannabis Encyclopedia is absolutely your best work to date. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for uh, for all your help over the years. I mean, I learned to grow from your books long before I ever even got to meet you or or, or consider you a colleague and a friend. So um, how, how can people get this book, and, and, and what's the best way for them to reach you or to uh, you know purchase any of the, the older books or the DVDs or anything else like that? Okay, um, yeah, I know that uh, the High Times Bookstore sells all of my books, which is great. And then also you can get all, all of my books on, on um, Amazon. Amazon has them. And then uh, you can also go to my website, marijuanagrowing.com. Excellent, excellent. And you also. Or the other thing is you can just type in the name Jorge Cervantes into the, any search engine, and you'll have thousands of pages of. Stuff, uh, yeah. about you know how to get a hold of me and and things that I've done yeah yeah and you've been <laughs> you've been pretty active on social media as well lately and uh, so I know like your Instagram your your Facebook and, and Twitter and all of that are, are very popular so um, definitely people uh, follow Jorge on your social media platforms tell them uh, hashtag free weed sent you um, another great thing you can do is go on his Amazon uh, uh, page for the cannabis encyclopedia and give it you know a five star review and 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 say some nice words about it because this is an absolutely uh, comprehensive book uh, covering every aspect of the plant from uh, cultivation um, propagation right into uh, vegetative flowering indoor outdoor greenhouse concentrates additives pests and diseases cooking with pot breeding with pot I mean it's everything so. Uh, you know, you worked a long time on it, and it shows. And I hope people, uh, I hope people will will check that out. And um, yeah, man, thank you, thanks for coming on the show, uh, and thanks for everything you've done over the years. And uh, and keep up the great work. We'll see you. You're going to be at all our cannabis cup events: uh, Northern California, Michigan, uh, Portland, all of that. You bet. Yeah, you bet. I'll be at, uh, be at all of them. The next one is is the Northern California cannabis cup by high times Excellent. Yeah, i'm looking forward to it because it's so close to because i live in the bay area now uh for part of the year so that's uh yeah that's great i don't have to get on the airplane and fly all day <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you very much um everybody check out marijuanagrowing.com uh purchase the book you can get it from high times at headshop.hightimes.com uh you can get it from amazon uh and numerous other places uh, it's an incredible book, well worth uh, the cost. You're going to lear- definitely learn a lot about the plant and about the man. So thank you very much, Jorge. Okay, thanks so much, Danny. It's a real pleasure being on.
okay, man, you're all set. You've got the knowledge. You're listening to the show. You want to grow. You want to grow Great Pot. And you know, Great Pot starts with great genetics. And our friends at Gorilla Cannabis Seeds are the ones to get some seeds from. They got 100% discreet orders, uh, stealthy, very quick shipping, great prices. Uh, a wide variety of seed banks are available, a bunch of different seed banks. Um, they throw in free seeds with your orders. Their customer service is impeccable, eco-friendly packaging. I can't say enough about this company. Um, they've been around for a decade. Um, all your favorites are there. Um, I'm not going to list them all off, but you can go to their website, uh, G-O-R-I-L-L-A-Cannabis-Seeds.co.uk. Um, there's phone numbers there. You can reach them. All their social media is there. Check out their super iced grapefruit. That's one of the strongest strains going with a whopping 22% THC. Uh, plus, the buds are extra large and extra sticky. All right. It's always fun when Jorge stops by the show. Uh, but we actually have a lot more cultivation for everybody, and we're in the cultivation segment. And it's been multiple fortnights, I would say. Several fortnights. So what do you say you give us a strain of the fortnight? Okay. Strain of the fortnight for this episode, number 81, is going to be Lowrider from The Joint Doctor. Now, there's some controversy over this, of course, as usual. Whenever you talk about autoflowering strains or feminized strains, people get their uh, underwear in bunches and stuff. <laughs> a little bit. But... This is the one that changed everything. This is the first commercially available autoflowering strain. Um, definitely changed the ganja growing world. Um, eliminates the vegetative stage of growth, basically. I mean, you plant the seed two or three weeks later after the first few sets of leaves, it just starts flowering. So you get these short, stocky spears, you know, a foot or two feet tall that are basically individual buds. Now, people are wondering, why would you want to do that? Now, you know, there's a multiple reasons, of course. I mean, uh, you can do this year round. I mean, that's the other thing. They don't. It's not relying on photo period. So you can plant in the spring and harvest in the summer. You can plant in the summer, harvest in the fall. Um, there's lots of different options, and that actually helps out because you know people who are, uh, are rip-off artists, rippers, or whatever that come looking for plants. They come, you know, end of September, early October. They're looking at the times that you're, you know typical strains begin to ripen now these can ripen in the middle of the summertime so uh you could beat them there's choppers with cops in them that are also searching around that time um yeah i mean there's lots of benefits and for people that are in uh you know tough climates too i mean this is an important thing it's a short season the whole thing takes eight weeks and i'm not talking about flowering i'm talking about from when you plant the seed to when you harvest it's like eight or nine weeks so um, there are advantages to it. Yes, they do get you high. Um, no, it's probably not the most potent, uh, you know, strain that you've ever tasted or smoked. But, uh, you know, you make hash out of it. You can cook with it. You can smoke it to your heart's delight. And it is pot that you created for free. Um, there's feminized ones, versions of Lowrider as well. Um, as far as lineage, uh, we're talking about Williams Wonder or N NL number two is another word for that. Um, crossed with a Mexican ruderalis. That's what gives it that, uh, obviously, you know, auto-flowering type situation. Uh, the other thing about the plants being so short and stocky is there's a low profile. So it's typically people can walk right by these plants while they're growing and not even see them. So you're really not going to have a lot of trouble with people 
um, discovering these things. They don't really look like typical pot plants. They're like little bonsais. Um, nowadays, there's like more potency being bred into these by our friends at like Dynafem and even, of course, the Joint Doctor is doing it as well. Um, Diesel Rider and Auto Haze and all kinds of interesting strains. But Low Rider is the original and it's the one they all breed with. I mean, it's literally like the auto flowering plant that all the other ones kind of come out of. Um, people with severe headaches actually say that this helps them. I don't know if there's a CBD element in there. Um, we'd have to have them tested. But yeah, I mean, people with severe headaches actually report that uh, these auto flowering low riders help them out a lot. Um, there's lots of new experimentation happening. If you're interested in something like that, if you're in, you know in a high altitude or if you're at a high latitude, longitude, whatever that is, where you're yeah, nope. it's one or the other. <laughs> it's either longitude or latitude. Yeah. Um, check out lowrider.co.uk. That's Joint Doctor's website, lowrider.co.uk. And you can see Lowrider there and all the other versions of uh, Lowrider, Diesel Rider, and all the autoflowering strains. So that is your strain of the fortnight. All right. I feel good. Another autoflower. People always enjoy that. (laughs) Do they? Uh, I seem to get a lot of hate when I talk about them. But the thing is, they exist. They're out there. There's people growing them. Um, Like I said, they have their place in the pantheon. Now, should they replace regular seeds? Should they? No, obviously not. You know, if you're going to be a breeder, you really don't want to, you know, use something like this for breeding unless you're breeding autoflowering plants. But for the casual smoker or the person who just wants to plant a seed, walk away, and harvest nine weeks later. These are perfect and uh, very acclimated to all kinds of different regions. So that's the word on the lowrider. Indeed. And in that vein of something for everyone, there is indoor, there's outdoor, there's also hydro. And uh, your cultivation tip this week has to do with hydro growing, right? Absolutely. Another thing that might be a little bit controversial, I know all the soil organics guys are, 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 you know, not interested but hydro growers have a very specific set of needs. And because you have that reservoir, you really have to know what you're doing and how to control your nutrient solution. Cause that's really what hydro growing is all about is that nutrient solution that's in the reservoir. Um, now the first rule, this is 21 tips, um, for hydro growers. The first rule of hydro club is don't tell anybody about hydro club that works for soil growers too. Now, Oddly enough, just want to say, uh, Fight Club 2 coming out in comic book form. Really? Just a heads up. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Ten years in the future. You know, I'm not a huge Fight Club fan. I really... I don't, was... I don't even know you. Yeah. You're not a huge fan of the of the novel, of the movie? The, the movie. I don't know the novel. What exactly did you not like about that film? I don't know. Just everybody's punching each other in the face all the time. And then in the film Fight Club. Yeah. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I feel like that's delivering what it promises. I guess so, but I if guess... If they were all planting flowers the entire time, <laughs> I would be so disappointed. <laughs> so you just don't like gratuitous violence is what you're saying? I guess. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm <laughs> I'm putting it out there because there's probably someone listening... Man, who... I like Goodfellas. I like that sort of thing. I just... I don't know. It just seemed a little weird to me. Everyone... Like, like if Pesci was in Fight Club <laughs> instead of Tyler Durden, if it was Joe Pesci... Maybe I'd like that better. Yeah. Just the voice and... It's a, it's a good voice. Okay, yeah. we digress. Back to the thing. Um, okay, like I said, it's all about the reservoir. And one of the things about reservoir is water temperature. Um, and this is something people just pour the water in and they think, okay, my reservoir is full. Let's get going. Not true. If it's too hot or too cold, you're screwed. So 
I recommend no higher than 70 degrees and no lower than 60 degrees on your nutrient solution. Um, you're going to risk root rot if you increase the heat higher than that. Uh, I've seen it happen time and time again. And oxygen is depleted at those temperatures as well. Um, cold temperatures, you know, like 60s, 50s, that can shock the roots. And so here's the thing. You might have to invest in an aquarium heater or a reservoir chiller in order to do this. I mean, there's cheap ways to do it. Um, but, you, you know, if you're in it for the long haul, get yourself a heater for an aquarium. Those are pretty cheap. Reservoir chillers aren't so cheap, but uh, they will keep that temperature low and they'll keep your plants thriving and alive. Um, now, if you happen to be growing hydroponically with organic nutrients, you're going to want to add beneficial microbes to your reservoir to help break those nutrients down for easier absorption for the roots. Um, there's all kinds of products out there on the market. I'm not going to get into any, but Google beneficial microbes. Um, pH level, this is important. This is the acidity or alkalinity level of the water in your reservoir. Uh, I say for hydro, you want to go a little lower than soil. So somewhere between 5.5 and 6.8. 6.8 is on the high side for hydroponics, but some strains prefer a little bit higher. Some strains prefer a little bit lower. So you got to figure that one out based on what your strain's preferred pH is. Um, dial it in and keep it as close as possible. Don't let it fluctuate up and down. Um, there's machines that actually, nowadays, there's like pH regulators that actually like constantly monitor and drip dose. Um, that's a bit excessive unless you're, you know, you have a big reservoir and you're growing lots of plants. But hey, you know, it's important to keep that in line. So it's, it's a good thing to have something in the water at all times telling you when, when the pH gets out of the range that you want it in, and then you can use pH up or down uh, accordingly. The other thing about that nutrient solution is it has to stay oxygenated. Um, just sitting there for a long time, the oxygen will be depleted, and you will end up with root rot for sure if you don't oxygenate. So get yourself an air pump and air stones, same sort of stuff that puts the bubbles into a uh, aquarium. You know, you got those bubbles that you see in people's aquariums. Those are just air pumps with air stones that are, you know, snuck in there. And the roots need access to find bubbles of oxygen to thrive. So you want it to just constantly be moving the water around. You don't like it to be stagnant. You want it to be full of oxygen. So um, that's important. And when it runs back into the reservoir, it's going to, like, oxygenate it as well. But you can't really over-oxygenate your nutrient solution. So just make sure you've got some air pumps and some air stones in there. You want to measure the amount of nutrient solution in your water with a TDS meter. And this happens to like fluctuate too, because um, the, the nutrients will be taken in by the plants, water will evaporate. And so you start off with, you know, your 1400 parts per million. And very quickly, that can either go way up or way down based on uh, what where your plants are and how they're growing. Um, the other thing is, is that plants that are growing hydroponically grow quickly. And when they do that, they quickly deplete the CO2 in the air. So if you, if you can, please provide extra CO2 gas or fresh air. I mean, I always recommend fresh air, but if you have uh, a tank or a regulator that can uh, produce more carbon dioxide for your plants, by all means, uh, you know, push it up to 1,500 parts per million if you can, and your plants will grow bigger and stronger and faster for sure. Uh, well, I shouldn't say stronger, but bigger and faster for sure. Um, also, remember to foliar feed the plants. Uh, during the vegetative stage, uh, particularly, you can use water. You can use a very mild, like quarter strength nutrient solution, 
Um, this is going to not only help feed the plants, but also yeah, lightly feed them. I mean, don't go don't go thinking that you're really like feeding them this way. But it, they'll they'll take some of that in through the leaves. Um, but it also rinses off any dust or uh, certain residues and things that can hamper photosynthesis, particularly if you had a pest issue and you had to use neem oil or something like that. Definitely rinse that stuff off after uh, it's you know run its course and done its duty. <laughs> Uh, um, humidity level also were you laughing at duty <laughs> um, seriously yeah I guess so wow <laughs> um, humidity okay this is also very important this works for soil growers or hydro growers humidity level should basically um, be right around 50% but anywhere between 40 and 60% is fine uh, high humidity is going to encourage mold low humidity can attract pests and is just not healthy for the plants because they're full of water and if there's low humidity around them that'll draw water out of the plants into the air and you don't want to do that so maintain that humidity level however you can i mean there's dehumidifiers there's humidifiers let them battle it out like uh, stephen wright used to say (laughs) um also this is important and i see this mistake being made a lot cover your reservoir and any kind of places where water uh, meets light because that's where algae is going to grow. If water meets light, you get algae growth and that, that's, that can be a problem. So any wet surface that's exposed to light is going to encourage that kind of algae and you want to maintain a light tight environment anywhere that your nutrient solution flows. And that includes, uh, in the tubes, if you have tubes or buckets, whatever it might be, just make sure you have something opaque that keeps light from reaching the water because you will get algae growth and that will be an issue. Um, A lot of people use reverse osmosis machines. It's important. It softens hard water, reduces calcium and magnesium buildups, prevents hard water damage to your leaves. Um, Basically, it just brings your water parts per million down to close to zero. Um, Now, that does mean that you're pulling out things like calcium and magnesium that are in there, so you'll need to add everything back in in order to have a proper nutrient solution. But this way, you're just starting from a base level, and now you know what, what's in there. You don't, you know, because parts per million doesn't tell you that it's calcium or magnesium. It just tells you um, the amount of salts um, that are in there. So uh, reverse osmosis machine is highly recommended um, depending on your water. I mean, you might have really nice reservoir water that's amazing. You might have well water that uh, doesn't need that sort of process, but... I do recommend reverse osmosis, especially for people who have those rust spots and things on their leaves that are totally unexplained. The nutrients are there, everything's dialed in, and suddenly there's just rust spots everywhere. That That's usually hard water damage. So, uh, okay, air temperature. Air temperature should never, ever go above 90 degrees. Um, ideally, you keep it below 80 degrees if you want to really promote and encourage growth. So that's important. Uh, a lot of people's grow rooms, you go in and you just start sweating immediately. And you look at the, the, the thermostat and it's 92 or something. Plants hate that. They really do. And you know who likes it? Uh, bacteria? Spider, spider mites. Oh, yeah. spider mites. Certain bugs just love that hot, dry air. So make sure to keep it below 80. If you've got to do um, you know, some kind of air conditioning, you know, by all means, do that. Um, another interesting thing, um, and I've seen people do this and it really helps out a lot, you can customize your measuring cups to correspond to the size of your reservoir. So, you know, you know you've got a 30-gallon reservoir. You know you're going to be using, you know, 3 milliliters per gallon. You can just basically, uh, you know, mark on your measuring cups 
where you, you know where you want to be for week two, week three, week four, and you can use that. And it just it makes things a little quicker and easier when you're um, filling those things up. And um, it's no muss, no fuss. <laughs> Um, if you have flood and drain, or sometimes known as like the ebb and flow systems, um, be sure that the roots have enough time between feedings to prevent overwatering. You don't want the medium to be constantly super soggy. Um, now it does have to maintain moist moisture levels. You don't want rock wool to dry out, but uh, soggy and moist are two very different things. And we won't get into the details of that, but basically just. Make sure there's time between feedings where the the roots are just getting air and they're not like sitting in in water and being over water. That's important. And I've seen that happen a lot. Um, Never allow your water pumps to draw air. Now, if the reservoir level goes really, really low, suddenly those water pumps um, are like sucking half water, half air. It really causes problems with the pump. It's not good for the plants. It's not good for anything. So keep your reservoir levels above half full at all times. This way you also avoid salt buildup and pH fluctuations, which happen when there's less water than, you know, a 30 gallon reservoir. If you're down to 10 gallons, you're going to have problems with salts and and pH and things. So just, you know, top off your reservoir with plain water or mild nutrient solution when needed. Um, Also completely drain and replace all of the nutrient solution in your reservoir, at least at the very least every two weeks. I would recommend if you can afford it, do it every week. But um, if you can't, you know, you can let it go two weeks, but after a certain point of time, it's, it's, it's used, used up and you can dilute that. You can use it on your house plants. You can use it on outdoor gardens if you want to do that. Um, But certainly don't just let your reservoir run for a month with the same water in it. It's just not going to work for your plants, and you'll see um, they're not going to do well with that. Um, Also, um, use a mild nutrient solution or plain pH balanced water for the last week of growth. Um, It's not as important to flush with hydro, depending on the medium that that you use for the full, like, two weeks that I would recommend in a soilless mix. But you still want to flush the, flush the roots and the plant cells of excess salts. So um, it's important. Your buds are going to burn smoother. Um, they're going to taste better. And, um, yeah, it's just basically like the flushing that you would do with any kind of growing, but it's specific for hydroponics. Um, another thing I see this mistake made over and over, keep all your electrical equipment off the floor and mounted on the walls because if you if you do suffer from a flood, this is going to save you from shorting out your equipment, possible fires, all kinds of issues that can arise when water and electricity co-mingle. So um, just make sure all, all your wiring and everything is off of the floor and mounted high enough of, on the wall that it won't be affected by any sort of uh, catastrophic flood that you might have if one, if your reservoir overflows or if your tubes overflow. And, and you know, that has happened. I, that's not something that, that's outside the realm of possibility. Um, another thing that I see people do, they store the nutrients in the grow room under lights. It's just really bad for that product. So store your nutrients in a cool, dry place, not the grow chamber. Um, it's important. Heat and light negatively affect the quality of your fertilizer. So if you have them in the grow room on a shelf or wherever where they're exposed to that warmth and the light, uh, they're not just not going to last as long, and then you're going to be using crappy fertilizer. So um, definitely store them in a cool, dry place uh, that is not necessarily right there in, in your grow room. 
mentioned this a little bit before, but never allow rock wool to dry out completely in a hydroponic system. Uh, if it does, the plant's roots will die very quickly. So uh, keep make sure your rock wool stays moist. Now, rock wool has a tendency to stay moist, and that's why people love it. It's got um, you know the best of both worlds. It's it's wet. And, but it, yet it allows oxygen to reach the roots. So plants will grow quickly, but just don't let the rock will dry out entirely. Um, and also, ne- last but not least, never throw the waste from your hydro room away with your regular trash. Bag it separately. Dispose of it discreetly. You know, you never know who's looking through your garbage or what's going on out there. So keep it stealthy. And there you have it. There's 21 different tips for hydroponic growing. And, uh, yeah, stay wet. Keep it going. <laughs> All right. Very good. 48 uh, tips for hydro growing. And um, I was 21. That was 21 tips. Felt like 48, but it was 21. What do you say we move on to? Okay, is there a place where people could, could investigate those tips further? Yeah, absolutely. Online, uh, we have them at hightimes.com. You can just search for 21 tips or hydro tips or anything like that. Um, yeah, we have them on our website. Very good. All right. So what do you say we move on to the portion of the show where readers get to ask Danny Danko a question about growing or just life? You know, (laughs) they could ask you whatever they want. My favorite part of the show. What do you say we do that right now? Let's do it. All right. First question is from Mike in WV, which I assume is West Virginia. Danny and Mike, I am a gorilla grower. I routinely start my outdoor plants uh, from seed under artificial light. Then I put them outside, and I give them two to three months of growth time. So my question is regarding timing and interior lighting versus natural light. I currently have my plants at 18 hours under sodium halide. When I place them outside, I've done my best to acclimate them slowly from inside to natural light several hours a day. Now, do you have any definitive regimen for acclimation like this? What what do you think as far as acclimating your plants to uh, different lighting? Uh, You know, I don't have a definitive regimen. I think it's more of a feel thing. But if you put them out into sunlight, you'll you'll notice the first few times you do it, um, after a a little while in full sun, they're going to start drooping. And, you know, you kind of want to avoid that. You don't want them drooping too much. So bring them back in. Um, Now, Little by little, you'll work your way up to, you know, let's say two or three hours outside in full sun. And at that point, they've pretty much acclimated. As long as they're not drooping, um, they're pretty much ready to go out into sun, into full sun. So, um, you know, and the sunshine outside isn't – you're not going to get 18 hours of light outside. So if you want to um, sort of tailor it down a little from the 18 hours that you're using to maybe, you know, 15 or 16 hours – in the, in the week or two before you put them outside so they're not completely shocked into maybe flowering under the, you know, 14 and a half or, or 13 hours of light that you have out there, um, then, yeah, I mean, there's just ways to do that. I know for gorilla growers it's, t- it's more difficult because, you know, you just want to get the plants out there and into the world um, without too much hassle. But it definitely it definitely helps them to acclimate because – you know sunlight is so much more powerful than any grow light that you have inside um yeah so i would say it's a feel thing but you know when you've got them and they're outside for two hours and they're not drooping and and they're not um, negatively affected by the sun um, they're ready to go out into their gorilla spots okay so uh thank you mike mike also uh he would like for us to incorporate a call-in section of the show he'd like to actually call us and talk and he also says that his uh, strain name idea, which was Dankzilla, is the best one so far. So there you go. Thank you, Mike. I like that, Dankzilla. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
All right, let's move on. And uh, it would be good to get, take questions live from listeners. I, I, we'd, have yeah, to we'd have to work on that. And probably do the show at like a regular time and <laughs> tell people. And I don't right, know. Right. It's going to cramp our style. But yes, we will we'll work on that. Let's move on to Nathan. Uh, Nathan asks, is it better to harvest with the lights on first thing in the morning or in the morning right before the lights turn on? So he's doing this in the morning, but he wants to know if he should do it with the lights on in his room or before the lights turn on to harvest. What do you think? I think before the lights turn on, I think that's better. Give him like a nice, uh, you know, dark night or even two. I mean, some people go, some people put them in the dark for two or three days. I don't really subscribe to that theory, but definitely harvest, you know, before the lights come on uh, or just let the lights stay off and just harvest. You know, you don't have to let the lights come on at at that point. But um, rather than letting the light come on and then harvesting because the plant starts to go into its a whole different phase of, of growth at that point and you're not going to get you're not going to gain any any bulk or anything from that so i would say harvest uh before the lights come on all right harvest in the dark danny says thank you nathan let's move on to puff tentacle uh puff tentacle says love the cast short for podcast i think oh nice yeah uh, we here in Alaska were wondering when uh, we'll get to have our own High Times Cannabis Cup. I was hoping Mike and Danny would pontificate on this possibility on the next Free Weed podcast. Uh, we would like to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that would to be do cool. a cup and an Anchorage Cup or something like that. That would be amazing. You know, we kicked around the idea of doing like a um, like a cruise from Seattle where it's legal to Alaska where it's legal, but uh, it turns out that the ports where we'd have to load onto these boats are federal land, so not legal. Right. But yeah, I mean, they just had a, a, a marijuana conference of some sort in Alaska. So yeah, yeah I mean, we'd love to go. Uh, you know, it's a place we, we ha- I've never been there. Um, I've been to Vancouver Island and, and all over Canada, but never Alaska. And uh, definitely would love to visit. I know there's a powerful marijuana tradition there. And, and they've had decrim since the 70s. So, you know, and they just recently went legal. So yeah, it's exciting. I'd love to do it. In, you know, in a, in a warm time of year. In a warm year. time of year, yeah. <laughs> in one of the southern cities, I would say. But, yeah, it would, it would be a kick to go to Alaska. So we will we'll try to make that happen. Uh, Puff Tentacle also has a grow question for you. Uh, will growing autoflowers outdoors in Alaska's 22-plus hours of sunlight cause the plants to hermaphrodite? See, right there, 22-plus hours of sunlight is <laughs> is a definitely a detriment. But anyway, um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I was in Russia in June one time, and it was like light out until almost midnight. It was very weird. I can't handle very that. Weird. That is too odd. Um, but no, it won't make your uh, autoflowers hermaphrodite. Autoflowers, um, they flower regardless of the photo period. So at 22 hours, they would just flower normally. Um, and so... And I don't, I've never heard of an autoflower even hermaphroditing. I guess it's possible. Of course, it's possible, but um, they seem to have such a short, uh, short life that you know it'd be interesting to see that happen. I guess that's how you would get feminized autoflowers, uh, or at least one of the ways you would do that. But no, um, you can grow autoflowers up there um, any time of year as long as it's warm enough. <laughs> but yeah, twenty-two hours of sunlight is fine for autoflowers. They will they will flower. All right. Uh, thank you, Puff Tentacle. Keep those questions coming. Let's move on to Rasta Dabs. Rasta Dabs says, Hi, Danny and Mike. Uh, thanks for continuing to provide great episodes of Free Weed. My question has to do with something I've heard mentioned on previous episodes, and that's harvest windows, uh, specifically in relation to longer flowering sativa strains. My question 
is do these harvest windows only apply to outdoor growing, or can you also have them with indoor gardening? Uh, also, what would the minimum amount of flowering time be before starting to consider harvest windows? So, so what do you think? The first question first here. Okay. Well, most uh, most plants that have harvest windows are like long flowering sativas. So, if you have something that's like a ten or a twelve or a fourteen week sativa, then you have those different harvest periods. Most indicas that are eight, you know, seven, eight, nine weeks don't really have a harvest window there's just a time to harvest them and you harvest them with uh with the long flowering sativas you can harvest let's say like maybe the top you know third of the plant or the tops um the top colas after like the 10 week period and then let the plant keep growing and then harvest again at like 12 weeks and then harvest you know the lowest branches around 14 weeks and you know the important thing is just to have a microscope or a loop or some way of looking at the glandular trichome and ensuring that you're harvesting at the time that you want. I mean, when the trichomes are cloudy, but not yet amber and certainly not completely clear. But with these sativas that are long flowering, they do tend to like, it's almost like they go dormant for a week and then they start growing again. And so it's this interesting thing about harvest windows on those long flowering sativas, but they work indoors and out for sure. I mean, if you're growing the long flowering sativas indoors, um, they have the same sort of harvest window that they would out in the sunshine. Um, so yeah, I think that that answers the question about harvest windows. What was the follow up? I think you got that one too. It was oh. the minimum amount of uh, time necessary before starting to continue harvest windows. But you sort of said that with yeah. the regiment there, right? Okay. All right, thanks, Rastadab. He has like eight other questions here, but we'll have to do that in another episode. Let's move on to our old friend Carlton, who writes, uh, this question isn't necessarily about cannabis. That always gets our attention here. I uh, just started hearing talk about smoking salvia plant leaves to get high. Now, because I don't know anything about it, I'm not willing to try it. So I'm coming to you to see if there's anything you know about salvia. Um, maybe it's uh, mainly is it a toxic thing to smoke or not? And can you do a side-by-side comparison of cannabis and salvia? Thanks a lot. You guys rock. Mike, you're awesome. <laughs> Carlton, I agree. Um, there's, it's hard to do a side-by-side comparison because they're, they're just so vastly different. Yeah, and I don't recommend smoking salvia at all for any reason under any circumstances personally. just I've never smoked it myself, but um, from the few experiences that I've had seeing people smoke it or hearing about them smoking it, Um, there's nothing pleasurable to be gained from that. So um, I like good old-fashioned cannabis, and salvia is just not something I'm interested in personally. Um, I know there's probably people out there that love it, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I'm not a big herbal alternatives fan. (laughs) I'm not... I I feel like why do an alternative to something when you already have that thing? You know what I mean? Like, this will get you almost as high as pot, or this tastes kind of like pot you know i mean unless you you're being drug tested for a job or something that none of that ever made sense to me um so yeah i don't recommend that stuff uh well of course salvia is nothing like pot it it gets you high for about two minutes and you you know you're just sort of out of your mind uh i'd We've dabbled in in this particular okay, uh, it substance. Okay, like you know and, a little more than I do. Well, we did a <laughs> we did a. I used to have a show called the the High Times News Hit, and we did a little sketch about salvia. And so, me and the actors that we hired to do it were like, "Well, we should 
actually do this before we do a sketch on it because <laughs> now how do we know we're doing it right uh-huh. so we bought salvia and we just got fucked up on it for an entire day and yeah i don't recommend it right but it's not going to kill you probably unless you jump out a window <laughs> which is a pop- what i would recommend to you is is check the youtube there's yeah. actually a lot of information yeah go on youtube watch people do salvia and then ask yourself if you want if you want to feel like they look i think that's fair <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Carlton, and keep my positive reinforcements coming. Let's move on Mike, to – you're awesome. Yeah, thank you. It, does, it sounds sarcastic when you say it. When Carlton said it <laughs> – when Carlton wrote it, I took it seriously. It was sincere. All right. Uh, let's move on to this question. Um, there are several questions here, so I'm going to pick the one that I think is the best. If someone were to Johnny Appleseed their way around the U.S. with cannabis – in 10 years, would this lead to a lot of terrible, malnourished ditchweed or a lot of tough hybrid crosses uh, that take over the countryside? <laughs> wow. That's an interesting question. question. Um, really depend, depends on the genetics. I mean, if you're out there with just, you know, swaggy, uh, mexy brickweed seeds, you're going to end up with swaggy plants out there. But if you, you know, if you actually putting out good uh, or decent genetics, you might actually see them uh, um you know, taking over the countryside, so to speak. Uh, but wild, the wild plants that you see out there in the U.S. Uh, tend to be mostly hemp, uh, low THC varieties of hemp that were grown in the, you know, eight, late 1800s and in the, you know, 20s and 30s and that sort of, uh, you know, escaped from the, these different farms that they had back in those days, uh, particularly, you know, Kentucky and in the Midwest and places like that. Um, you know, I recommend, you know, if people want to just, you know, throw some seeds here and there, that's like a fun little activity. But if you're really trying to, like, you know, overgrow the whole country, it's going to be tough, <laughs> you know. That is an undertaking. It is a, <laughs> It turns out a, a very big country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It All is right. a big country. And, you know, there's no guarantee that the plants are going to survive uh, another generation. You have to have males and females in close proximity. Um they, you know, you're also not doing a great service for the people who are growing outdoor in that area because you're putting all that male pollen out into the world um, that doesn't necessarily need to be there, and you could end up seeding people's crops that are miles and miles away. So it's not necessarily something I recommend people do. Uh, it's fun when it's like a protest. You know, there's like a, uh, you know, a planter in front of a, you know, police station or something, and people drop a couple of seeds in there, and some pot plants grow. I, I've definitely seen that happen. And you know it's it's you know it's an interesting little experiment that people do, but as far as making a huge you know change in the you know, the horticultural landscape, it's not it's not really going to happen. All right, and uh, he also adds, um, "Thanks for turning me on to Jorge Cervantes' new encyclopedia. That thing's a beast." Yeah. So well, indeed it is. Independent verification of what we were talking about earlier. Yes, thank God. All right, so let's move on to Big Cat. Big Cat writes, Danny, what is your opinion and advice for people in the position of wanting to share their grow experiences with the world but are afraid to because you know the big bro may be watching? We live in an era where digitally sharing our lives is very prominent among millennials. Um, I'm proud of what I do and I want to show people uh, because this movement is so important for a number of reasons. But the general consensus among my group is to just lay low and never be loud. As Jorge Cervantes says in the Bible, don't tell anyone, not your brother, not your mom, not anyone. What do you think? 
Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think it really depends on where you are. If you're in Colorado and you've got your five or six plants and you're perfectly legal or you're in Cali and you've got your medical card, by all means, you know, if you're safe, feel free to share. I'm not the person who, who subscribes to, you know, super paranoid kind of behavior. I think sometimes that can get you in more under more scrutiny than just, you know, being casual. But you know, you should always be aware that, you know, everywhere people are watching and not everyone has your best interests at heart. So if you're going to post pictures of your plants on Facebook and you live in Texas and you're very easily traceable by your name or your email, that's not a good idea. So, um, but like I said, if you're in, you know, Oregon and you've got your six plants or whatever it might be and you're perfectly legal, um, you really don't have much to worry about. Uh, in that aspect. So, you know, and now with all the dispensary grows and people are posting pictures and Instagram is just flooded with all kinds of pot photography. So, you know, you're a small fish in a very big pond for the most part, uh, but you certainly don't want to raise the uh, ire of any authorities in your area and you don't want it to be traced back to you if you're, in fact, doing it completely illegally. So I'm sure it happens and probably in, in smaller towns. People have but, gotten caught over, yeah. like, posting stuff on Facebook, their plants. and It's definitely happened, but, you know, you just use your discretion. If it, if it, is it really important to let people know what you're doing or, you know, or is it? Or is there a more anonymous way that you can do it? You yeah, know, de- definitely contemplate before you hit send, <laughs> I would say, is probably yeah, smart. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank you, Big Cat. That is a uh, good question. Definitely something everyone should be contemplating. So let's move on to Chris. Hello, Mr. Danko and Mr. Hughes. Me and my friend were talking, and even though you've covered it a few times, it wasn't quite clear to us. During the seedling process, do you use 20 hours on and 4 hours off, or do you do 24 hours for that time? Also, when you talk about the week's uh, cycles for the veg state, do you take into account the seedling stage? Or do you just wait until you transplant to start for the week's time frame? So um, maybe a little clarification is necessary. Okay. Um, from what it sounds like, the first part of the question, um, let's see. I definitely don't recommend 24-hour uh, ve- on vegetative cycle. I think that the plants need at least a few hours of darkness, even in the vegetative stage, to sort of recover and do their growing and all of that. So um, – you know, I recommend basically either an 18.6 or a 20 and 4. I, you know, uh, for me, I think 18.6 is, is, is great because it's like, uh, you know, two-thirds of the, you know, 24-hour cycle or whatever you might say um, on and one-third off. And so 18.6 is good. 20 and 4 is good. But I wouldn't do 22 and 2, and I certainly would not do 24 and 0. So... Um, that's for the vegetative stage. As far as the weeks, I think if you're talking about weeks flowering, you don't start to count those weeks until you actually induce flowering in the plant. Um, but weeks vegging, you start with basically when you plant the seed, you should you should have a seedling growing at that point within three or four days of planting minimum. Uh, so basically you just start from when you plant the seed. That's the first week of growth. Uh, once you see the seeds popped open and you and and that first uh first leaves have have sprouted that's your first week and you know you just keep counting weeks from there so if you're doing two three weeks vegging um you do it from the you know the day you f- you see uh leaves popping out to that's the first day of the first week and then um you know three weeks from that day is when you induce flowering and that's your flowering cycle has begun all right 
Very good. We hope that helps, uh, Chris. Thank you for writing us. If you have a question that you would like Dan to answer on the air, uh, you could get us freeweed at hightimes.com. Also on Twitter, he is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike Hughes underscore. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we will put a bow on it. Yes. All right, you guys, uh, we went a little long. I uh, hope you guys enjoy that. Um, we're going to wrap it up with Raw, right? Oh, yeah. That's how we wrap it up here. We wrap it up with Raw. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, check us out, you know, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, all of that. Hashtag Freeweed. Um, iTunes, if you could give us a great review on uh, iTunes, leave your uh, at, you know, name or whatever it is on Instagram or Twitter. I will follow you if you put a great review up there. Um, thank you to Rob Cantrell. Um, definitely check out that July issue of the magazine. Get your Michigan Cup tickets. Uh, uh, amazing, uh, glorious thank you to Jorge Cervantes, who uh, spent some time with us today talking about his new book. Definitely check out the new book, The Cannabis Encyclopedia. Um, it's, yeah. it's good because you could also kill someone with it. It's, com- it's a sizable it's, it's a sizable work. A couple of pounds. Yeah. I mean, it's a very <laughs> big book. Danny it's, is sitting on it right now so he could reach the microphone. Oh, no, oh, come on. Oh, love, love. It's a big book. <laughs> it's a big book, and it's a wonderful coffee table book. Um, there's something in it for everyone, whether you grow or not. You're going to learn a lot about uh, medical marijuana, about marijuana consumption in general, and all the new fangled uh, things you can find about concentrates and edibles and marijuana lab testing and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, it's a great book, so definitely go out there and get that. You, if you're, if you're uh, still on the fence, you know, go to hightimes.com slash Jorge and check out uh, some excerpts from the book. Um, pick up the latest issue of High Times, and there's excerpts. We're doing them for the next six months. We've got July. Uh, we skipped uh, August, but we're starting again with September, October, November. A bunch of Jorge stuff in the magazine. Uh, very excited about that. Thank you to everyone. Thanks to the listeners, uh, all the sound engineers that make us sound so great. <laughs> uh-huh. It's episode number 81 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Denko. Thanks again, and put it in the books. And I think they were running some kind of deal for us. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Promo for Gorilla Seeds. Hey!